The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Book 5, Parliament First, Chapter 12, Procession of the Black Breaches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 5, Chapter 12, Procession of the Black Breaches. But is there a thinking man in France who, in these circumstances, can persuade himself that the Constitution will march? Brunswick is stirring. He, in a few days now, will march. Shall France sit still, wrapped in dead cerements and grave clothes, its right hand glued to its left, till the Brunswick St. Bartholomew arrive? Till France be as Poland and its rights of man become a Prussian gibbet? Verily, it is a moment frightful for all men. National death, or else some preternatural convulsive outburst of national life, that same demonic outburst. Patriots whose audacity has limits had, in truth, better retire like Barnave, caught private felicity at Grenoble. Patriots whose audacity has no limits must sink down into the obscure, and daring and defying all things seek salvation in stratagem, in plot of insurrection. Roland and young Barbaru have spread out the map of France before them. Barbaru says, with tears, they consider what rivers, what mountain ranges are in it. They will retire behind this Loire stream, defend these Auvergne stone labyrinths, save some little sacred territory of the free, die at least in their last ditch. Lafayette indicts his emphatic letter to the legislative against Jacobinism, which emphatic letter will not heal the unhealable. Forward, ye patriots whose audacity has no limits. It is you now that must either do or die. The sections of Paris sit in deep council, send out deputation after deputation to the Salle de Manege to petition and denounce. Great is their ire against tyrannous veto, Austrian committee and the combined Cimmerian kings. What boots it? Legislative listens to the toxin in our hearts, grants us honours of the sitting, sees us defile with jingle and fanfaronade, but the camp of twenty thousand and priest decree, be vetoed by a majesty, are become impossible for legislative. Fiery Enard says, we will have equality, should we descend for it to the tomb. Vernio utters, hypothetically, his stern Ezekiel visions of the fate of anti-national kings. But the question is, will hypothetic prophecies, will jingle and fanfaronade demolish the veto? Or will the veto, secure in its Tuileries chateau, remain undemolishable by these? Barbaro, dashing away his tears, writes to the Marseille municipality that they must send him 600 men who know how to die, qui savent mourir. No wet-eyed message this, but a fire-eyed one, which will be obeyed. Meanwhile, the 20th of June is nigh, anniversary of that world-famous Oath of the Tennis Court, on which day it is said certain citizens have in view to plant a may, or tree of liberty, in the Tuileries Terrace of the Feuillon, perhaps also to petition the legislative and hereditary representative about these vetoes, with such demonstration, jingle and evolution as may seem profitable and practicable. 
Sections have gone singly and jingled and evolved, but if they all went, or great part of them, and there, planting their may in these alarming circumstances, sounded the tocsin in their hearts? Among king's friends there can be but one opinion as to such a step. Among nation's friends there may be two. On the one hand, might it not by possibility scare away these unblessed vetoes? Private patriots and even legislative deputies may have each his own opinion or own no opinion, but the hardest task falls evidently on mere pation and the municipals, at once patriots and guardians of the public tranquillity. Hushing the matter down with the one hand, tickling it up with the other. Mere pation and municipality may lean this way, department directory with procureur syndic roederer having a fouillant tendency may lean that. On the whole, each man must act according to his one opinion or to his two opinions, and all manner of influences, official representations, cross one another in the foolishest way. Perhaps, after all, the project, desirable and yet not desirable, will dissipate itself, being run athwart by so many complexities, and come to nothing. Not so. On the 20th morning of June, a large tree of liberty, Lombardy poplar by kind, lies visibly tied on its car in the suburb Antoine. Suburb Saint-Marceau, too, in the uttermost southeast, and all that remote oriental region, pikemen and pikewomen, national guards and the unarmed curious are gathering with the peaceablest intentions in the world. A trickler municipal arrives, speaks. Tush, it is all peaceable, we tell thee, in the way of law. Are not petitions allowable and the patriotism of maize? The trickler municipal returns without effect. Your sans-colotic rills continue flowing, combining into brooks, towards noontide led by tall Santerre in blue uniform, by tall Saint-Tirouge in white hat, it moves westward, a respectable river, or complication of still-swelling rivers. What processions have we not seen? Corpus Christi and Legendre waiting in gig, Bones of Voltaire with bullock chariots and goadsmen in Roman costume, feasts of Chateau Vieux and Simoneau, Gouvion funerals, Rousseau sham funerals, and the baptism of Petion National Pike. Nevertheless, this procession has a character of its own. Tricolor ribbons streaming aloft from pike heads, iron-shod batons and emblems not a few, among which see especially these two of the tragic and the untragic sort. A bull's heart, transfixed with iron, bearing this epigraph, Cœur d'aristocrate, aristocrat's heart, and more striking still, properly the standard of the host, a pair of old black breeches, silk they say, extended on cross-staff, high overhead, with these memorable words, Tremble, tyron, voilà les sans-colottes. Tremble, tyrants, here are the sans indispensables. Also, the procession trails two cannons. Scarfed trickler municipals do now again meet it in the Quai Saint-Bernard and plead earnestly, having called halt. Peaceable, ye virtuous trickler municipals, peaceable are we as the sucking dove. Behold our tennis court may. Petition is legal, and as for arms, did not an august legislative receive the so-called eight thousand in arms, foyant though they were? 
our pikes, are they not of national iron? Law is our father and mother, whom we will not dishonour, but patriotism is our own soul. Peaceable, ye virtuous municipals, and on the whole limited as to time, stop, we cannot, march ye with us. The black breeches agitate themselves, impatient, the cannon wheels grumble, the many-footed host tramps on. How it reached the Salle de Manege, like an ever-waxing river, got admittance after debate, read its address, and defiled, dancing and sa erraring, led by tall sonorous Santerre and tall sonorous Saint-Tourouge, how it flowed, not now a waxing river, but a shut Caspian lake, round all precincts of the Tuileries, the front patriot squeezed by the rearward, against barred iron gates, like to have the life squeezed out of him, and looking too into the dread throat of cannon, for national battalions stood ranked within, how trickler municipals ran assiduous and royalists with tickets of entry, and both majesties sat in the interior, surrounded by men in black, all this the human mind shall fancy for itself, or read in old newspapers and syndic roderer's chronicle of fifty days. Our May is planted, if not in the Foyant's terrace, where there is no ingrate, then in the garden of the Capuchins, as near as we could get. National Assembly has adjourned till the evening session. Perhaps this shut lake, finding no ingate, will retire to its sources again, and disappear in peace? Alas, not yet. Rearward still presses on. Rearward knows little what pressure is in the front. One would wish at all events, were it possible, to have a word with His Majesty first. The shadows fall longer eastward. It is four o'clock. Will His Majesty not come out? Hardly he. In that case, Commandant Santerre, Catlal Butcher Legendre, Patriot Huginen, with the toxin in his heart, they and others of authority will enter in. Petition and request to wearied, uncertain National Guard. Louder and louder petition, backed by the rattle of our two cannons. The reluctant grate opens. Endless sanscolotic multitudes flood the stairs. Knock at the wooden guardian of your privacy. Knocks in such case grow strokes, grow smashings. The wooden guardian flies in shivers. And now ensues a scene over which the world has long wailed, and not unjustly, for a sorrier spectacle of incongruity fronting incongruity, and, as it were, recognising themselves incongruous and staring stupidly in each other's face, the world seldom saw. King Louis, his door being beaten on, opens it, stands with free bosom, asking, What do you want? The sanscolotic flood recoils, awestruck, returns, however, the rear pressing on the front with cries of Veto! Patriot ministers, remove Veto! Which things Louis Valiant answers, This is not the time to do, nor this the way to ask him to do. Honour what virtue is in a man. Louis does not want courage. He has even the higher kind called moral courage, though only the passive half of that. His few national grenadiers shuffle back with him into the embrasure of a window. There he stands with unimpeachable passivity amid the shouldering and the braying, a spectacle to men. They hand him a red cap of liberty. He sets it quietly on his head, forgets it there. 
He complains of thirst. Half-drunk rascality offers him a bottle. He drinks of it. Sire, do not fear, says one of his grenadiers. Fear, answers Louis. Feel then, putting the man's hand on his heart. So stands majesty in red woollen cap, black sans calottism weltering round him far and wide, aimless with inarticulate dissonance, with cries of Veto! Patriot ministers! For the space of three hours or more, the National Assembly is adjourned. Trickler municipals avail almost nothing. Mere Pation tarries absent. Authority is none. The Queen with her children and sister Elizabeth, in tears and terror, not for themselves only, are sitting behind barricaded tables and grenadiers in an inner room. The men in black have all wisely disappeared. Blind lake of sans-colottism welters stagnant through the King's chateau for the space of three hours. Nevertheless, all things do end. Vigneault arrives with legislative deputation, the evening session having now opened. Merpetion has arrived, is haranguing, lifted on the shoulders of two grenadiers. In this uneasy attitude and in others, at various places without and within, Merpetion harangues, many men harangue. Finally, Commandant Santerre defiles, passes out with his sans by the opposite side of the chateau. Passing through the room with the Queen, with an air of dignity and sorrowful resignation, sat among the tables and grenadiers, a woman offers her, too, a red cap. She holds it in her hand, even puts it on the little Prince Royal. Madame, said Santerre, this people loves you more than you think. About eight o'clock the royal family fall into each other's arms amid torrents of tears. Unhappy family! Who would not weep for it, were there not a whole world to be wept for? Thus has the age of chivalry gone, and that of hunger come. Thus does all needing sanscolotism look in the face of its roi, regulator, king or able man, and find that he has nothing to give it. Thus do the two parties, brought face to face after long centuries, stare stupidly at one another. This verily am I, but, good heavens, is that thou? And depart, not knowing what to make of it. And yet, incongruities having recognised themselves to be incongruous, something must be made of it. The fates know what. This is the world-famous 20th of June, more worthy to be called the Procession of the Black Breaches, with which what we had to say of this first French biennial parliament and its products and activities may perhaps fitly enough terminate. End of Book 5, Chapter 12